Don't wait for the movie, amen? All right, so raise your hand, get a Bible in your hand, otherwise I might be making this stuff up, right? So get your Bible out and uh, let's open with a word of prayer and we're going to spend some time with the Lord this morning, seeking His face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, we praise You, You are a great and an awesome God. We are so privileged, Lord, that we can know the Creator of the universe in an intimate and a personal way. Lord, we ask this morning that Your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, I thank You that nobody's here by chance this morning, we're here by divine appointment. Lord, we just pray Your blessing upon our time, Lord. We love You and we praise You. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, well, as a way of introduction, you know, the older I get, the quicker time goes. Anybody, Anybody bear witness with that? Amen. Isn't it like Christmas every other month now? It just seems like it's just going. And the, and the older I get and the faster my life goes, the more I realize how important it is to live the time that I have for the kingdom of God. As many of you probably know, about three years ago, I was in the back of an ambulance and listening to the panic on the ambulance driver and the person attending to me, I truly believed I was going to be in heaven any minute. And I was ready, but at the same time, there was a big part of me thinking back on my life, thinking, you know, your life actually does flash before your eyes, and a near-death experience is probably a good thing about every two years or so, right? Gets our eyes focused on where they should be. But what happened was, I began to think about my life, and I realized that God's not going to care when I stand before Him how much money I made. God's not going to care how big my house was. God's not going to care, you know, how much I could bench press or how, how hard I could fall off water skis and break my ribs, right? God doesn't care about the stuff that we think is really important in this life. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Guys, nothing else is going to matter. And, you know, raising our kids in a godly home, being a Christ-like example in our workplace, living our lives for Him. So none of us knows how much time we have left. You know, when you die, they put up a tombstone, and they put the year you're born and the year you die, and there's a little dash in between it, and that dash represents your life. And in that brief amount of time, what are we going to do for the kingdom and for His glory? And so as I look through Scripture, uh, and I look at the different people in God's Word who've been used mildly by Him, God doesn't hide the frailties of, of those who failed miserably in Scripture, because God knows that we fail. How many of you guys failed this week? Raise your hand right? There's 6.8 billion people on the planet, 6.8 billion sinners. Amen? Amen. But that's why Jesus came and suffered and died, that we might have eternal life. But here's the point, that I look back and I thought back on the fact that it's our turn, guys. It's our turn to represent Jesus Christ upon the earth. You know, the prophets had their turn. They died and they're in heaven. Moses had his turn. Elijah had his turn. Elisha had his turn. Noah had his turn. The apostles had their turn. The, the Christians that have gone before us, the Martin Luthers, all of them, they had their turn to be used for the kingdom of God, and they were faithful. And many of them had to die to bring that Bible that sits in your lap so that you and I could read it. And you know what? Now it's our turn. And there's an ominous thing to think about, that that baton has been passed to us, and now what are we going to do with the time that God has placed in our hands? Guys, it's a, it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternity for the world around us. It's our turn to handle God's word with care. It's our turn to represent Jesus Christ on the earth. Guys, Billy Graham's not coming to your office anytime soon. Amen? And God's called us to be the salt and light of where we work and in our neighborhoods. God's called us. It's our turn to share our our hope with others and those that live around us and to fulfill the great commission, which is to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. If we're going to be faithful to the turn God has given us, we need to, there needs to be some examples to follow. And in the Bible, we have a lot of great examples. 
Some of my favorites are Caleb and Joshua and, and Joseph and, and the Apostle John and John the Baptist. But this morning, I'm going to try to take on a heavy task, so bear with me. I want us to look at the life of Daniel. Daniel was a young man who purposed in his heart as a teenager to serve God. And for 70 years, we see his life followed in the first six chapters of Daniel. That's what I said, the first six chapters of Daniel. We're going to look at that this morning, okay? So hold on to your hats, have your Bible open, turn to Daniel chapter 1. And if you're a note taker this morning, I titled the message, It's Our Turn. It's Our Turn, Lessons Learned from the Life of Daniel. So if you're a note taker, here are the six points we're going to hit in the 50 minutes or so that we have. Number one, may we purpose in our hearts to honor God and remain faithful to His Word. May we purpose in our hearts to honor God and remain faithful to His Word. Number two, may we not attempt to face our trials alone. One of the things that we all do, or we can do, is we go through a difficult time and we go and hide. We retreat. Uh, we're maybe ashamed of the difficulty that we're going through. We think of other people know somehow they're going to think less of us. Guys, we're the body of Christ. We should be holding up each other's hands. Amen? Amen. We should be praying for each other, encouraging each other. May we not try to face the trials that we have alone. Number three, may we be encouraged by the steadfastness of others. I love to hang out with people who are on fire for God. How about you? Amen? Because when you watch their life, they can be an example to you, an example for us to follow. Number four, may the zeal and boldness that we have not die out over time. You know, one of the things you hear sometimes about Christians, will say, well, he's a new Christian. That's why he's so excited. You ever heard that before? Well, he's so on fire because he just got saved last week. He just recognized that he, you know, he's, he's headed for heaven and he's a new creation in Christ. Guys, our passion for God ought to grow, not die out over time. Amen. The closer we get to heaven, the more on fire for God that we are, we ought to be growing. Number five, may our testimonies and faithfulness to God and His Word give us an opportunity to minister to those who are hurting and looking for answers. You know what? There might be people in your neighborhood or in your workplace who mock your faith until they're going through a trial and they'll be at your desk or knocking on your door asking for prayer. Guys, we need to live our lives in such a way that others will see Christ in us. And then finally, may we finish strong. Guys, my dad is in almost 80 years old. He was one of my assistant pastors in Santa Cruz. And you know, he's been a pastor for 55 years. He still does the school of ministry there. And every time we hang up the phone, it's the same way. Dad, I love you. Let's finish strong. Guys, we don't retire from being Christians. Amen? We don't live our life and then get to the point where we have enough money where we can go lay on a beach somewhere and do nothing. Guys, you're still breathing in and out because God wants to use you. Amen? We're napping this morning. I need some amens. I don't, I don't know you're awake. Amen? Okay, remember, I was a youth pastor. I need a little help here, okay? I know it's the 9 o'clock service. I know it's the early service. Sometimes people are asleep. All right, so let's pick up there in Daniel chapter 1. Before we do, let me give you a little background on Daniel. Daniel was born in a time when, when God's people were far away from God. What had happened was they were, they were literally worshiping false gods and false idols, Baal and Ashtaroth. And it was at a time where they were sacrificing their children to these false gods. It was so, they were so far away from the Lord. And in the midst of that, Josiah, King Josiah came along. And when King Josiah came along, he returned them all to the Lord. They started serving God again. And then when he died, his two sons came. They became the next two kings. And they were more wicked than any kings that had come before them. So Daniel is a teenager living in a time when the people of God were godless. When the people who should have been serving the true and living God were not walking with the Lord. They'd watered down their faith. They were no longer seeking after Him. 
And then in the middle of that, I know that Daniel had godly parents. And let me tell you how I know. One, because his name means God is my judge, but also because this teenage boy was a man of prayer, a man of purpose, a man of prophecy, and a man who surrounded himself with other godly young men. You know what? He's, over the next 70 years that we're going to go through here in the next six chapters, there were four kings that came and went, and Daniel stayed. So in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the wickedness, God's bring, God brings judgment upon Israel by allowing a wicked king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar to come and overthrow Israel. Guys, this should be a word of encouragement to us. No matter what happens in the world around us, God is still in control. Amen? Guys, no matter what happens in the next election, the next president is not our Savior, Jesus Christ is. Amen? Amen? So we need to trust in God. Yeah, we need to go out and vote. We need to do those things. But that's not where my faith is. That's not where my hope is. My hope is in the Lord. And here's the good news. He'll never vote God out of office. Amen? Amen. He'll always be God. He'll always be in control. So as we pick up here in chapter 1, King Nebuchadnezzar is coming to the country. He begins to capture and, to, and kill and slaughter everything in his path. And then he looks and he takes the, what is the best for himself. He goes in and takes the gold and the silver and all the spoils. But also, as we're about to read, he's going to take the best of the young men. And he's going to bring them back and enslave them to serve him as, as counselors, as wise men. So let's begin there in, in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to look again at verse 1 through 3. And I'll make a comment. Look what it says here. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs. You know what a eunuch is? No thanks. Amen. So here comes the master of the eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Now watch, here's verse 4. Here's where Daniel comes in. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. So here's what they want to do. They wanted to find the wisest people. How did they do it? I have no idea. I don't know if they had an SAT test or what, but they went in and they found the sharpest young men and they brought them back and they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these guys and we're going to use them as an asset for our kingdom. But what the first thing we got to do is we got to change them a little bit. We're going to change their language. We don't want them speaking their language. We want them speaking ours. We're going to change as we're about to see their diet because we want them to eat the way we eat. We're going to see in a moment that they're going to change their names. Basically, what they want to do is blot out the remembrance of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to come in and become good idol worshipers in Babylon and start faithfully serving the king. And one of the ones they captured was the young man, Daniel. And they bring Daniel in, and, they, and imagine this, again, I can't imagine, imagine Daniel being a teenage boy, we see no record of his parents ever again. I don't know if they were killed, I don't want to speak into the silence of scripture, but he never sees his parents again. Teenage boy drug away to a faraway land, as he's on his way to this faraway land. I can't imagine what's going through his thought process, because people have been killed in front of him. King Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked and vile man, and as he's being drug away, he's probably thinking, I'm going to be a slave, or are they going to kill me? Am I going to be a sacrifice? What are they going to do to me? And he shows up in Babylon, and all of a sudden, they usher him in, and let's look at the next verse, verse 5. 
And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So they usher them in, and instead of enslaving them, they bring out this big feast of the food that the king eats. And immediately they could have been relieved. Oh, sweet. I guess I'm not going to die. And they enrolled them in Babylon University, right? They enrolled them in the Babylonian way of of teaching and the Babylonian way of thinking. And they say, we're going to feed you well, and we're going to train you for the next three years that you might serve the king. We're going to spare your lives. As a matter of fact, you could have a pretty, uh, you know, pleasured life, a high, a high life in, the, in a sense of the Babylonians. You're going to be in a position of authority. Now, at this moment, the easiest thing to do would be to just go with the flow. I was a youth pastor. I used to say, any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen. Anybody can just do what's expected of them. Anybody can just go in the direction that everyone else is going. But you know what? Here's this teenage boy. And you know what? He could have been mad at God at this point. He could have said, well, you know, God didn't help me out when I was in Babylon. And when they showed up, he didn't protect us. And my family and friends, many of them are dead. And we've been enslaved. I've been carried away to this far land. And where was God? So you know what? Maybe I need to stand up for myself. Maybe I just need to do what's right for myself. I can only trust in me. Is that what Daniel did? It's not what Daniel did. Well, let me go on before we get to what, how Daniel responded. Now, look what it says. Now, from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs, he gave names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, why is this significant? Because all of their names were names that pointed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Daniel means God is my judge. They changed his name to Belteshazzar. You know what Belteshazzar means? Servant of Baal. Baal is the false god of, of sex and lust, it was a, a, and where they sacrificed their children. And they changed his name from a name that honored the true and living God to a name that would honor an idol. Now, do we see what's happening? They're indoctrinizing the kids. Is that not happening in our public schools today? Amen. What happens is, let's take God out, let's take the Bible out, let's take the Word out, let's take prayer out, and let's give them our values, and let's change their behavior, and let's change their thought patterns. Guys, we need to stand up for the truth today, amen? And we need young people who know what they believe and why they believe it. So here's what happens. They change his name, and they messed up all their names. Hananiah means God has been gracious. They changed his name to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of one of their false gods' names again. Mishael means who is what God is. Meshach means I am of little account compared to these false gods. And then finally, Azariah really got nailed. His name means the Lord has helped. They changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of the shiny one, Nebo. Thanks, right? So here we are. We've changed your name. We're going to change your language. We're going to enroll you in our school. We're going to teach you our ways. And we're going to give you the, the king's feast. Now, Daniel sees the food come out. And when he sees it, he recognizes that there's food there that the law of Moses has forbidden them to eat. And when he sees it, he also recognizes that this food has been more than likely sacrificed to idols. Now, Daniel has a choice as a teenage boy. What am I going to do? Hey, they're going to educate me. I'm going to have a position of authority. All I got to do is go with the flow or honor God. Guys, that is the thing that you and I face every day. Please men or honor God. May we honor God. Amen? Amen. 
It's not always easy, is it? Sometimes it's easy, again, to be the dead fish. So these godly names point to a godly heritage. Their parents are no longer around. And you know what? There's, come a, there's going to come a point in our children's lives as well where their faith isn't going to be based on our faith that has to become their own. Amen? You know what? God has no grandchildren. You know, real faith comes when mom and dad are no longer there leading the way, and now they have to make the choice themselves. Am I going to continue to serve God? Am I going to take my family to church? Am I going to live a Christ-like life, or am I going to be like the world? So here's how Daniel responds. Look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So Daniel was at a, the rubber met the road, and Daniel had a choice to make, and Daniel decides, I'm going to stand for God and not obey man. I'm going to do what God says to do regardless of the consequences. Daniel knew it could be the end of his life. At that, Do we need some Daniels today or what? I wish Daniel could run for president. Amen? I wish somebody would stand up and have, be unashamed of their faith in God and their reliance upon him and quit trying to be politically correct. Amen? So here's what happens is Daniel makes this statement and we have no idea how, what's going to happen. But look at verse 9. Now God had brought... Daniel into favor and the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Guys, when you go through this stuff, here's what you need to be reminded of. You're not alone. God is always with you. You plus God is a majority. Amen? There's 10 million people saying no, and God says yes. You go on his side. You're on the right side. And so here we have this young man who stands for God. But why did he stand for God? Because he was a young man of the word. He knew what God's word said. The law of Moses forbids I eat this stuff. This is not what God wants. But I believe the most significant thing is he was a young man of prayer. You want to have power in your life, you need to be a man or woman of prayer. We don't pray, we're going to be on our own. We need to seek God's face. We need to, to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him. Daniel would not be conformed to this world, but was transformed by the renewing of his mind, and he would not bow to peer pressure. Daniel did not view God's word as a law to be considered or a path to ponder, but a blessing to follow. Guys, God's word, you've heard me say it, 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents in three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. How's that possible? Because God wrote it, amen? amen? And because he wrote it, why in the world would I go to anyone else for counsel when I, when I can listen to Almighty God? This is what Daniel does. He says, I'm going to honor God and whatever the consequences are, that's what they'll be. You couldn't threaten Daniel with heaven, amen? You die, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. So Daniel purposed in his heart to serve God. Again, his home had been besieged, his family and friends slaughtered and enslaved, separated and carried away to a foreign country, numbered among the eunuchs, pagan food in front of him. Daniel could have easily questioned God, and instead he purposed in his heart to serve the Lord. We don't have time to go into the rest of it, but I want to say this. It's during the difficulty of life that your character is formed. Do you understand that? Our character is not formed when we're on the cruise ship to heaven and everything's perfect. Our character is formed when we're in the most difficult times of our life, and we get to find out where our faith really lies. You've heard me say it before. You squeeze a lemon, you get lemonade. You squeeze a Christian, you ought to get Christ-likeness. You know, when, when you're going to see what's really on the inside is when things are tough, when your finances are going sideways, when you got health issues, when you got trouble with your kids, when, when, the, when the economy's crashing down on you, where do you turn to? Where is your faith at that moment? God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. 
Let me say that one more time. He cares more about your character than he does your comfort. We think if God's not making us comfortable, he doesn't care. You know what? He loves you enough to not let you be comfortable all the time. Amen? Amen. And so Daniel purposes in his heart. And what, is Dan- what happens? Don't have time to go through it, but the next rest of the chapter, he goes in and says, I'm not going to eat that stuff. Let me eat what God commands us to eat. You let your guys eat what you want to eat, and then you come back and you check out which one of us is more healthy. Now, you know what he's doing? He's putting God's word to the test. Can God's word be put to the test? What's the answer? All day long. And so we can trust God's word. We can trust the truth that God's word proclaims boldly. And so he says, you know what? I'll go God's, word, God's way. You go your pagan way. And then let's compare at the end. And we all know what happened. If you've read the chapter, they compared them. And then the eunuch said, everybody's going to eat their diet from now on. Guys, if we can stand for God in a lost and a dying world, my prayer is that we'll have an impact on the world where they will want to live our lives because they see God's blessing upon them. Guys, it's our turn. And before before us is now, it's in our hands and people have been tortured and martyred to get this truth to us. What are we going to purpose in our hearts? What are you most passionate about in life? Are you most passionate about how much money you're going to make? Are you most passionate about... Your hobby, you know, we live near the ocean. Is it surfing or whatever it might be? Are you most passionate about a relationship you're in? You should be passionate about your relationship. But guess what? If we're passionate about God, we'll be better in our relationship. Amen? If we're passionate about God, we'll be better in the workplace. You know what? I pray that I do my job in a way that honors the Lord. And if I honor the Lord at work, it'll be easy for me to honor my boss. Amen? Daniel purpose in his heart. When it all came to the end, they brought them all in, they tested them, and guess which ones tested out to be smarter than all of them? The four Hebrew boys who stood up for the Lord. The four Hebrew boys who refused to pander to the ways of the king. So the first thing that we see, it's our turn. May we purpose in our hearts to remain faithful to God's word even in the midst of life's greatest trials. Number two, may we not attempt to face our trials alone. Go down to chapter two. Now here's what happens in chapter two. Chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king that had had captured him and brought him away, has a dream. He can't understand what the dream is, but it's torturing him. He doesn't understand it. It's torturing him at night. And finally he says, get my wise men in here. I need an answer. Some time has gone by. Daniel's one of the wise men. He's studying their ways. And they bring all the wise men in, and basically here's what he says to them. Look, I'm having a dream. I need you to tell me what the dream is and what it means, because I need to understand. And by the way, if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. That's kind of pressure, I'm thinking, right? You thought your boss was a jerk, right? Can you imagine? Tell me my dream and what it means. Go. If you're not, bring the swords, right? Now, all of these guys, you know what they're into? It says there they're into astrology and you know, new, they're, they're trying to look at the stars. How stupid is that? They're trying to figure out the dream looking at the moon. Really? Why would we look at the moon when we can look to the sun, the S-O-N, amen? And too often what happens is we look to worldly standards, and so they bring them in, and, and they don't have any answers. And so King Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, look at verse 13 so the, of chapter 2. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, Daniel's not even in the room. So they show up at Daniel's place and say, come on, we're going to kill you. And Daniel, whoa, 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 why? Well, the king had a dream. Nobody can interpret it. 
So we're going to put all you guys to death. You're worthless. And then Daniel goes to the king and he asks him, he says, give me 24 hours to go to the, you know, to ask God for the answer and I will bring it back to you. Again, does Daniel believe that God answers prayer? He does. So much so, he's willing to put his life on the line. He goes in, and what does he do in the midst of this trial? And this is what I want us to see. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. So his life is on the line He needs an answer from God, and what does he do? He runs to his godly friends, and they get on their knees together, and they cry out to the Lord. Guys, this is the example for all of us, amen? Too often, again, we're going through trials. We want to keep it to ourselves. If if I tell people what's going on in my family, they're going to think less of me. We need to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, amen? We're all sinners. You know what? Here's the problem. We look at everybody else in the room. Everybody else, everybody else looks pretty good. All your lives are probably perfect, right? You've got no problems at all, right? Because we look on the outward appearance. And the reality is that the church is not a police station where people come to get beat up. It's a hospital where people come to be loved on and healed. Amen? Everybody in here today has got things they need prayer for. And so Daniel, in the midst of this trial, doesn't go off and say, I'm going to be a macho stud. I'm just going to take this on myself. I'm a man's man. He doesn't do that. He goes and finds his godly guys and says, guys, we got to pray. This is gnarly. Uh, We're going to die tomorrow if we don't have an answer, but we know who has it. And so they got on their knees. They didn't call Dr. Phil. Amen. They didn't go out and try to find an answer from the local. You know, they didn't go to the 1-900-PSYCHIC and ask Dion Warwick what the answer was. They got on their knees and they cried out to the creator of the universe and said, God, you know what's happening. We need to hear from you. Well, guess what happened? God answered their prayer. Nebuchadnezzar went back. Now, it's interesting. When they brought in the false prophets, the, brought in the, false, the wise men, right? When, they, when he asked them and said, tell me the dream and tell me the answer, they said, only God can do that. Amen. That's the only thing they said that made any sense. Amen. So they come in and he comes back and he tells them, Nebuchadnezzar, here was your dream. I don't have time to go into it. You can read it later. He tells them the entire dream and then he tells them what it means. And at the end, King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? You're wiser than all my wise men. And look, go all the way down to verse 46 of chapter two. The King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, commanded they should present an offering and incense to him. And the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you have revealed this secret. Wow. A a one man who said, I'm going to seek God's face, got an answer from the Lord, turned an entire kingdom around, only for a moment, unfortunately. But the king at the moment says, you know what, your God is God. I don't like to use myself as an example, but you know, after I was sick for the long time, I had a guy in my office who was a pretty devout atheist, used to make fun of my faith all the time. And when I came back after being gone nine months, and he had seen me a few times, I'd come by the office, I'd lost 120 pounds, it was pretty obvious I was near death. And when I came back, about the third day, I've been talking to this guy about the Lord, he never wanted to hear it. But about the third day I was back, he came over to my desk and he said, can I say something to you? I don't, I, I'm still not sure there's a God, but if there is a God, it's your God. And let me tell you how I know. Because with everything you've been through, I've never heard you complain once. And that's only possible if God is with you. 
And I'm like, dude, I talked to this guy about the Lord, and it takes me almost dying to get this guy's attention, right? But the truth is, that's exactly what will happen when we trust in the Lord, when the world sees what God is doing in our lives, they're going to start to say, you know what, if there is a God, it's your God. Guys, it's the same God that we serve, the same God that Daniel served. So Daniel, they, they raised him to a higher position of authority. It says that Daniel sat in the gate of the king. He's in this high position. Well, some time goes by, and, and we get to chapter 3. So first of all, lessons learned from life of Daniel. Chapter 1, may we purpose in our hearts to honor God and remain faithful to his word. Chapter 2, may we not attempt to face our trials alone but turn to the Lord first and each other for prayer and encouragement. Number three, may we be encouraged by the steadfastness of others. We get to chapter three. Between chapter two and chapter three, about 16 to 20 years went by. During that 16 to 20 years, King Nebuchadnezzar, who told Daniel, your God is God, decides to build a 90-foot-tall statue of himself and have everybody worship it. He forgot who he thought God was. Amen? All of a sudden, he thinks he's God. And to make sure everybody else thinks he's God, he makes a decree. And the decree is that, look at verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship immediately shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Here's what he says. I put this big statue, you know, the statue of myself, 90 feet tall, nine stories tall. I put it out in the middle of, the, the, of Shinar, right in the, in the place where everybody can see it. And when you hear the music, drop to your knees, drop to your face, and worship the idol. And oh, by the way, no pressure. If you don't worship it, we're just going to throw you in the fire. Now, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but you know, the Muslim faith started when they went around and they took a sword and they put it at people's throats and said, if you do not confess, Muhammad is a prophet, we're going to slit your throat. You get a lot of converts that way, right? Now, we need to love the Muslims, Amen. The Lord loves them, we need to love them, we need to point them to Jesus Christ, right? But here's the point. He's going to make them worship him by threatening them with death. You worship or die. So the music starts playing. What do you think most people did? (laughs) On their face. The music's playing, they're all looking around at each other. They all go down. Well, in the middle of that, Daniel's not in this chapter. I don't know if Daniel was away in the king's business or what, but I know he would have stood. His three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stand now if you're in a crowd and everybody falls on their face and you're standing up you stand out amen everybody figures out pretty quick dude you're not falling down what's up with you now the other wise men who don't like these guys what don't you hate the guy that always has all the answers right you're like how come he always has the answers how come he knows everything i don't you know that make that guy makes me sick right well can you imagine being the wise men and, you, and their, their lives were saved by Daniel because Daniel came up with the answer. They don't like that he keeps being elevated and he's a foreigner after all. So they go and run to the king and say, oh by the way, three of those Jewish boys you brought back, they stood up when you played the music. What did you say? King, are you man of your word? You're going to put these guys to death? So they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in and they bring them before the king. Let's pick up there in verse 15. Now here's his warning. So now they bring these guys in and there's King Nebuchadnezzar who has shown that he will kill somebody at a drop of a dime. He's not, he's quick to do it. He doesn't care. He's the man and he wants everyone to know it. So look what he says. If you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music. This is chapter three, verse 15. And you 
you fall down and worship the image which I made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And underline this in your Bible. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? Now, I have an idea that there were some veins bulging on that dude's neck right about now. Amen? I don't think he said, who's the God that will deliver you out of my hand? That's not what he's saying. Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? Now, is there anything more arrogant than that? You know, the Bible says pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. I hate pride in other people and then I struggle with it myself. How about you? Amen? hate it when I see people prideful and then I struggle with it myself. So now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are having their Daniel moment. Now they can make a choice here. He says, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Do you think he's getting calm here, or what do you think is happening? I, his face is turning redder, redder. He's about to blow a head gasket, right? If you think that's bad, keep listening. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Oh, can't you just see Nebuchadnezzar? Who are these puny guys? No one else stands up to him. Everyone else is afraid to him. And finally, we have three godly young men who say, we're going to honor the true and living God, and he can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, it's okay. Again, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You can't threaten me with heaven. And the worst thing you could do to me is the best thing that could happen to me, so bring it on. And I, I want to look these guys up in heaven. How about you? I want to have lunch with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So tell me about the fiery furnace thing, man. I want to hear about this, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, don't sweat it. No big deal. Then go back. No, that's not what happened. He then says of the fire, heat it up seven times hotter. Now, how hot does fire need to be to burn you? He's trying to make a point, you think? He's going to burn these guys alive and make sure everyone else around watches what's about to happen and make sure that they get in line next time that music starts playing. So he grabs the three Hebrew boys, and he well, now they're men, probably in their 30s. Takes them over and throws them into the fire. Now what's awesome here is he looks into the fire, and as he's looking in, they went in, they bound them up, they drop them in the top of the fire, and it's like a kiln. He's looking through the side, and he expects to see some charcoal Hebrew boys, Hebrew men. And instead... He says, in verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Verse 25, Look, he answered, I see four men loosed, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the what? The Son of God. Who's in the fire with them? Jesus Christ. Now, this is hundreds of years before he came to earth in a physical body, but Jesus always has been and always will be, and he is God. Amen? And so Jesus is in the fire with him. Now, can you imagine? Now, what did he say before? Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Here's your answer. Amen? He's walking in the fire with him. Now, he went from who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands. His next statement is, come out, come out, ye servants of the Most High God. What happened? Jesus happened, amen? And you know what I love about this story? They had to be called out of the fire. 
Now, I've never had to have anybody call me out of fire. Amen? I touch something hot, it, I'm, it, uh, right? You're in fire. How quickly are you going to run out? But you know what this tells us, guys? Don't miss this point. It's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? It's better. They, they're like, we're hanging out with the Lord. The fire's good. We'll stay here all day. He's like, come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. King Nebuchadnezzar's whole attitude about who God was was changed. And when you get to, to verse 29, he says, Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. He went from who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands to proclaiming that their God is the only God, and if people worshipped any other God or said anything bad about their God, he was going to cut them into pieces. This guy only had one mode of, of intimidation, right? Fire and cutting people up. That's not how we do things as Christians, amen? We incite people with the love of the Lord. There is no other God. And King Nebuchadnezzar promoted Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Guys, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? You know, obedience to God is it's a get-to, not a have-to. This is not a book of rules trying to keep me from having a good time. He's not... A no-fun bummer God trying to keep you from having a good time. He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to keep you from harm. Amen? Amen? So when you read this, this is God's way of saying, I love you. Don't put your hand on the fire. It's going to burn you because I love you. And guys, we can do what we want because He gives us free will. He loves us enough to do that. But I just love this example. These three young men stood when everyone else bowed. And we need people like that in America today. We need people like that all over the world. Now, Daniel's not mentioned in this chapter, but you think Daniel might have heard this story? What do you think? And when he heard this story, what do you think happened? I think he was greatly encouraged. And I want to tell you, the guys whose commentaries I read, the guys who I listen to and order their Christian CDs, guys who I podcast in my car, are the godly men who I've seen go through difficulty and their faith has never wavered. Those are the men I want to follow. Amen? Those are the examples I want to follow. Those are the men who I want to have speak into my life. One of my favorite Bible teachers is John Corson. His wife, and then some years later, his daughter were killed in car accidents on the same road. And his faith never wavered. Was it hard? Yes. Do we grieve? Yes. But we do not grieve as those without hope. Amen? So, may we purpose in our hearts to honor and remain faithful to his word. Number two, may we not attempt to face our trials alone. Number three, may we be encouraged by the steadfastness of others. Number four, may our zeal and boldness not die out over time. Some more time goes by. I'm running short on time here, but Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Some more time has gone by. It's amazing how the, you know, it's amazing how when something radical happens, people get on their face before God. And then when life goes back to normal, they forget God. Remember 9-11? Church I pastor in Santa Cruz packed out after 9-11, right? And then things go back to normal, and people go back to normal. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, some time has gone on. He has another dream. And what does he do? He has a dream, and the first thing he does is he calls in the Chaldeans again, the astrologers and the magicians and the, all the people that are into witchcraft. He did that before. They didn't have an answer. He brings them all in again. And they don't have the answer again. And so one more time, he turns to Daniel. Look at verse 9. Belteshazzar says, 
chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of a holy God is in you and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. God allows another dream to come to King Nebuchadnezzar that he might once again turn back to Daniel and to seek the God, the true and living God. So Daniel comes in and Daniel interprets the dream one more time. And when he gives the interpretation this time, it's not something the king would want to hear. It's something very... Nar- and guys, you know what? Daniel was not uh, someone who gave seeker-sensitive messages. Amen? He did not water down the gospel. Hey, king, you might want to possibly think about considering doing this because, hey, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. He just tells the king straight up, God says this and this is what's going to happen, king. And here's why. Look at verse 18. He says, this, ki- this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. This is Daniel speaking. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of my... Or this is, excuse me. Since all the wise men of any kingdom are not able to make known to me, but you are able for the spirit of a holy God is in you. So this is Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you have holy God in you. I've had this dream. I need some answers. Go down to verse 30. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about in the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? Where have we heard that before? I built this. So he says here, The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon I have built for a royal dwelling, for my mighty power, and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling place shall be with beasts of the field, and you shall make you to eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. Daniel told him what was going to happen. He didn't listen. He began to boast, and he had built everything. He was filled with himself, and God brought him to the end of himself. Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy. He ends up crawling around in the grass, says his His fingernails grew long, his hair was like bird's feathers, and he was on the ground and he went crazy. But notice here, and this should be an encouragement to us. Look at verse 34. At the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. Guys, when does our understanding return to us? When we stop looking around and we start looking up. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say, if in the next four years I can get you guys to quit doing this, and I can get you to do this, I've done my job. If I can quit getting you to look at the world and find your acceptance from the world and seek pleasure from the world and get you to turn to the Lord. King Nebuchadnezzar was a crazy man until he looked up and then his thoughts and his countenance and everything was brought back to him as soon as he turned his eyes to the Lord. You know what's awesome about this? When Daniel was confronted, many years have gone by now, Daniel did not change his behavior because he'd been Babylon a long time. He never got comfortable in this position. He never got comfortable in whatever riches or wealth he had attained as a man of power. Instead, he remained faithful to the truth of what God's word says, and he unashamedly told the king what the king needed to hear from the Lord. He didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. He told him what he needed to hear. Lessons learned from the life of Daniel. May we purpose in our hearts to honor God and remain faithful to his word. May we, may we not attempt to face our trials alone. May we be encouraged by the steadfastness of others. And may our zeal and boldness not die out over time. So a couple of decades, maybe 30 years have gone by, and Daniel is the same guy. But the only reason he's the same guy in his 40s that he was as a teenager is because he purposed in his heart to serve God, and he never wavered. 
He kept his eyes on the Lord. He kept pursuing God, and he refused to compromise. Daniel was a man who'd rather die with conviction than live with compromise. Let's move on to chapter 5. May our testimonies and faithfulness to God and His Word give us an opportunity to minister to those who are looking for answers. We get to chapter 5, King Nebuchadnezzar's gone. Belshazzar is the new king. 20 years after chapter 4 have come along, Daniel, it's about 60 years after his captivity, he's now probably in his 70s. Now they have a new king, Belshazzar, and they've, they've got a great city, they've got great walls, they feel really safe, and so Belshazzar throws a rager. He, there's people outside trying to attack, he feels so safe, there's no way they can get to me, and so he throws a party. Look what it says here in verse 3 of, John, of Daniel 5. They brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God. So the, the vessels that were to be used in the worship of God, they were using to get drunk. Okay, look what it says. Which had been in Jerusalem, the kingdom of his lords, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, and iron, wood, and stone. Is there anything dumber than this? Gold, right? That's what they're doing. Bronze, wood, really. You know what it is? These, that's what they made their gods out of. You know, it says in the Bible, if you take a piece of wood and you cut half of it up and, and use it in your fire to warm you, and you cut the other half up and you carve it into a god and you bow down and worship it, really? You know, by the way, if your god can be thrown in a fire, you need another god, amen? I was in India during, you know, the high Hindu holidays, and I walked by a table, and a guy hit a table that was filled with Lakshmi gods, and they fell over and broke, and I, and I just made the statement, you know, if your god can break, you need another god, amen? I'll go down to the store and buy another one, right? You know, that's not the god that we serve. He's not made with hands, amen? But they're worshiping the man-made gods. They're worshiping gold and silver. They're worshiping money. They're worshiping wealth. Now, God is a god of love and grace and mercy and patience, but watch what happens here. Verse 5, in the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, for the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So they're having a rager, and this hand comes down, it's hanging in the middle of the room, and is writing on the wall. He might have thought he drank too much, right? But he looks over, and this hand is writing on the wall, and all of a sudden, the king's like, dude... Now look what happens in verse 6. How does he respond? The king's countenance changed, his thoughts troubled him, so that his joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. He went from partying to shaking. And the word there where it says, I don't mean to be crass, but the joints of his hips were loosened, it means he messed his pants. That's what it means in the original language. He's standing there, he messes his pants, his hands are shaking, and all of a sudden the party's over. There's writing, you know where they get the term, the writing on the wall? Daniel chapter 5, amen? All these quotes people quote, they come from the Bible. The writing's on the wall, man. You know what? God wrote on the wall. And the king's like, dude, what does it say? And they look at it and they can't read it. And he doesn't understand it. So he cries out, again, I've got to move along here. And he says, go find somebody who can interpret that and I will make them third in my kingdom. I'll give them wealth without measure. Bring them in. And they bring in all the astrologers again. They bring in all the soothsayers and the magicians and they all look at it and go, I got no idea what that says. Right? And then the queen says, you know, there used to be a guy who interpreted dreams for Nebuchadnezzar when he was here. That was 30 years ago. His name was Daniel. 
But you know what? God's hand was on that guy. We should probably go get him. Again, when difficulty comes, they go find the, the godly guy, right? When they don't know what else to do, they tried all the worldly ways. Let's go find the godly guy. So they go and they get Daniel. And he tells Daniel, you know, I'll, if you do this, I'll give you anything that you want. Look at verse 15. Now the wise men, the astrologers, had brought in before me. They should read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you. You can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around your neck. You shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give, give your awards to another. He says, you know what? I don't want your stuff. Pastor Dave paraphrased. Keep your stuff. I don't need it. I serve God. That's enough. And then he goes on to tell him what it means. If you go down to verse 25, and this is the inscription that was written, Mini, mini, tikil you farsin. This is the interpretation of the word mini. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Hey, Belshazzar, you're toast. You're done. You were worshiping the gods of gold. Why don't you call one of them right now and see how that works out for you, right? Then he says, Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and been given to the Medes and the Persians. The Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a gold chain around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. But notice what it says. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. So he told them what the prophecy said. He didn't water it down. He wasn't seeking worldly riches. It is interesting that he got raised to that position anyway where God would use him mightily. But it wasn't because he was striving for it. Guys, if we get great wealth because we're striving for wealth, we've missed it. If God chooses to allow you to be a, a steward of his finances because you're pursuing him, then you be a good steward of his finances. Amen? So I love this picture here of Daniel, how he remains faithful, how his testimony remains. When they needed a godly man, they knew that they needed to go find him even after 60 years have gone by. Finally, the last chapter, Daniel chapter 6. We'll finish with this and we'll go to a time of communion. Thanks for your patience today. I know this has been a lot. We get to chapter 6. This is the chapter everybody knows about, about Daniel. It's Daniel and the what? The lion's den. But now we got a little more background on how we got to the lion's den because now 70 years have passed. Daniel's in his 80s. He has gone through all these other trials and the reason that Daniel's going to be able to stand now is because he purposed in his heart as a young man and he remained faithful. So we get to this last chapter. King Darius of the Medo-Persian Empire is now reigning. Look at verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, but over the whole kingdom, over those three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so the king might suffer no loss. That Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. So why, why was he the one that stood out? Because an excellent spirit was in him. Not because he was so smart or he was so great or he was so charismatic, but because the Holy Spirit dwelt within him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, here's what happens. We're out of time. But let me just tell you the, the rest of this. So these wise men get together and they're like, Daniel just keeps getting elevated. we got to get rid of this guy. And they're thinking, how can we get rid of Daniel? So they say, you know what? The only thing we can do to get rid of Daniel is outlaw his relationship with God. If we outlaw his faith, Daniel will be in trouble for sure. 
And you know what? We need to outlaw because we know where his power comes from. It's prayer. So let's just outlaw prayer. So they go to King Darius and they say, Darius, here's what we want to do. We want to make a proclamation because you are as good as a God that everyone who prays can only pray to you, King Darius. And if they pray to anyone else, let's make sure they get the sense of what it's really all about and they don't take it lightly. We're going to throw them in the lion's den. And King Darius even makes this, well, does everybody know about that? Yeah. And so King Darius says, wow, wow, you guys think I'm a God? Okay, let people pray to me. Now, he loved Daniel. He respected Daniel. Those verses said he wanted to raise him and make him second in the kingdom. But then what happens is he puts his signet ring on it and says, okay, that's the command. If anybody prays to anybody but me, then they're going to go in the lion's den, and this is unchangeable because he put a signet ring on it. So what happened? When you go over to verse uh, 10, look what it says. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went to his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. They outlawed prayer. Daniel knew it, and he prayed anyway. But I want you to notice something. He didn't pray in secret. Could Daniel not have prayed and kept the window shut? Right? He could have said, well, I'll just shut the windows. God knows I'm still praying, and I'll pray anyway. You know what he said? No. I'm not going to deny God. Guys, there could come a time when they make it against the law for us to meet like this. There's been countries in the world where that's happened, right? And that's going to be the time we have to make a stand for God. And Daniel makes a stand, and you know what? They knew that, uh, you know, here's what I imagine. Pastor Dave's opinion. I imagine all these guys got together. I didn't, they didn't have lawn chairs then. But I just imagine getting lawn chairs and popcorn and waiting outside of Daniel's window because they know this guy's going to pray because he always does. They know his heart. They know his counsel. And they're, gonna, they're just waiting. And as soon as he opens the window and starts praying, they looked at each other. We got him. They run to King Darius and say, Darius, we have somebody who didn't pray to you. And they bring him in, and when he sees that it's Daniel, Darius is grieved in his heart and says, oh, I've been, I've been fooled. But at this point, it's too late. He signed it with a signet ring. So they take Daniel, and they throw him into the lion's den. And what's interesting, King Darius says to him, your God, whom you continually serve, Daniel, he will deliver you, won't he? And the King Darius goes up into the palace, and King Darius is in the palace all night long, and he's tearing the palace apart. And he's tormented all night and he can't sleep. And at the same time, Daniel's in the lion's den and what's he doing? He's napping. He's in the lion's den, sleeping. You know what this tells us, guys? It's better to be in the lion's den with the Lord than in the palace without him, amen? The guy's in the palace, he's tormented all night. Guys, riches won't bring you peace, only knowing the prince of peace can bring you real peace, amen? So then what happens is that Morning comes, King Darius runs down and he knocks on the stone that covers the... Daniel, did your God whom you serve continually, did he deliver you? And then he hears the voice, yes, Darius, my God delivered me. And they bring Darius out, I mean, they bring Daniel out. He says, you know what, from now on we worship your God alone. And then they brought all the other wise men who had duped Darius and they threw him into the lion's den. And it says that the lions ate them before they hit the ground. So this was not because the lions weren't hungry that they didn't eat Daniel. Amen? They were starving, but God closed the mouths. It says in Hebrews 11 that by faith, godly men have closed the mouths of lions. And that's speaking of Daniel. You know what, Daniel's in his 80s. His faith hasn't wavered. Because 70 years earlier, he purposed in his heart to serve God. And here he is now. You know what? God is faithful. I've seen him do it. I'm certainly not going to abandon him now. So in closing, guys, it's our turn. The same 
Holy Spirit that dwelt in Daniel dwells in us. God has a calling on our life. He wants to use us mightily. Guys, that baton's been handed to us. So may we purpose in our hearts to honor God and remain faithful to his word. May we not attempt to face our trials alone. You're going through something this morning? Pray with somebody today before you leave. Let them know what you're going through. Number three, may we be encouraged by the steadfastness and faithfulness of others. May our zeal and boldness not die out over time. May our testimonies and faithfulness to God and his word give us an opportunity to minister to those who are hurting and looking for answers. And finally, may we finish strong. You know what? If you've blown it in the past, we can start serving God today. Amen? If you've not been where you need to be, you can purpose in your heart this morning. We're going to go to a time of communion now, but before we do, and if the worship team will come on up. Communion, Jesus said when he was in the upper room the night before he was to be crucified, he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. You know what happened was when he, when he came at that Passover supper, the time of the Passover, they'd always observed Passover. They never truly understood what it meant. And so he, he, opened, he held up the bread that they'd been eating for so long, and he tells them, this is my body, which is broken for you. Before he went to the cross, he told them that that's what this Passover meant. This is my body broken for you. Then he held up the cup. He says, this is my blood of the new covenant that is shed for many for the mission of sins. Guys, as we go this time of communion, I want you to do three things. We look back to the cross of Calvary and we remember Jesus suffering and dying that we might have eternal life. We look within and we examine our own hearts before him. Lord, is there anything in me that needs to change? Take this time to examine your heart. But guys, we also look ahead because there's a time coming when we'll be having this in heaven with the Lord. And I can hardly wait. How about you? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. You are a great and an 